Hello there. Welcome to the show. It's been four episodes, I think, and I've had a guest on each one. So for my fifth consecutive episode, I'm going to have another guest. So I decided to have Natalie on. Natalie, how are you doing? I'm good. Today, I figured we would talk a little bit about medical things, just because I haven't done a medical podcast in a while. And right now, I'm in the process of studying for my step two exam, which I take in two weeks. So I've been covering a lot of different topics, and um, Natalie is also in medicine, so we figured we would talk about a few things. What's the first topic we're going to cover? All right, this is a question that I got wrong, and it was stupid. What is the initial treatment for HHS? Is that the hyperglycemic... Hyperosmolar syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. So there's two types of diabetes. I'm not explaining this to Natalie. She already knows this. I'm just talking about it. Also, my voice is still getting over this cold I've had. It seems like this is like the fifth week, but hopefully one day it will go away so my voice will not sound as nasally. But there's two types of diabetes, type 1, type 2. Type 1 is more genetic related. Type 2 is more lifestyle related. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I know there's genetic components to both. The severe complications of either of these are either DKA for patients with type 1 diabetes, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, and then you have HHS for patients with type 2 diabetes, and they kind of function similarly. They come into the clinic and they're volume depleted, and they have a glucose of 500 or 600. Mm -hmm. So what is the initial management of hhs is it like fluids yeah iv fluids yeah that was the right answer and i i I think i put down that's always give them but it's so dumb from like a test perspective because anyone who comes into the hospital is gonna get fluids pretty much especially anyone in hhs or dk if you go to the hospital you're getting an iv pretty much if you get admitted yeah so i i think i said insulin and potassium because I was thinking insulin as well. Yeah, uh, IV fluids. There was another one that I had that was really dumb where the patient had bleeding. They were hypotensive. They were in some sort of accident and they had bleeding from the urethra. And the first thing you always do when you have bleeding from that area is you do a uh, imaging, a urethra cystogram where you're looking to see if there's been any damage to the bladder or to the kidneys. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the right answer. The right answer was give them blood because their their blood pressure was like 70 over 40. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I understand that. But and most of the people who got that question wrong said what I did, which was get a urethra cystogram. So, well, those are tricky. They want you to be like, what is the first immediate step you're going to do? I know, but that's, I don't know. It seems kind of lame to me, but maybe that's because I'm just not smart enough. Um, we're kind of going to bounce around in different topics because that's how these tests work. They just have a bunch of random autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. If you, this is another question that I got wrong in, uh, Everyone else got this question wrong, too, based on the statistics, but I thought this was actually pretty interesting. If you were to improve their kidney function, what kind of drug would you give them? They're hypertensive because they have... A thiazide? I said an ACE inhibitor. Okay. I was like, I'm going to give them an ACE inhibitor because ACE inhibitors... Or it might have been an ARB. Um, But the correct answer was vasopressin because apparently antidiuretic hormone or I guess it's a synthetic antidiuretic hormone, 
decreases the formation of the cysts in patients with polycystic kidney disease. I think that's way too specific. I did not know that. Yeah, I had no idea about that. So I got that one wrong. I feel like that was a very specific question. I would be surprised if we're expected to know something that um, serious. Or not serious, that specific. So most of these are just going to be me ranting about how I don't like the questions <laughs> because they are very specific. I did learn that Wernicke's... So can you talk about the difference between Broca's and Wernicke's aphasia? Broca's aphasia is where you can think the right words. So this would be after... Yes, this would be after a head injury, traumatic brain injury. Or stroke, most likely. Or stroke as well. The Broca's aphasia you get if you can think of the correct word, but you can't get the word out appropriately. Or you use other words, or your words are jarbled. Yeah, you can't like pronunciate words, and you can't... It's like... But you can think the right... Thought. And you can comprehend. If and someone, you can understand yeah. if somebody were to say the correct words, you can understand it. Whereas Wernicke's is you don't even, you think the wrong words, right? Yeah. So you just say cat, basketball, iron, trampoline, no Stephen. cohesiveness. Like, like yeah, you can pronounce words that are that sound correct but they make no sense the so way that you, you say them. You could ask me like what happened yesterday and I would be like, Pineapple tree ran over to up down Steve's jub and you're like, What what are you saying? And they think that they're saying normal words. It's it's really interesting if you've ever seen a patient that has it. But what I also learned was that you can also get visual disturbances with people who have Wernicke's and that separates it from Broca's. So that was a question that I actually got right, but it was kind of just from eliminating all of the other wrong choices. Another thing that I've been struggling with is Addison's disease. So this isn't necessarily Addison's disease that we were talking about. I don't know what the clinical definition of Addison's disease is, but basically it's your adrenals don't work and you're not producing cortisol, which does a bunch of things. Natalie, do you want to talk about what we were discussing last night and who we were talking about? Yes. So last night we were talking about JFK. He um, had a form of adrenal insufficiency that is typically caused by taking too much corticosteroids. Mm-hmm. So if you give yourself too much corticosteroids, that tells the pituitary in your brain, oh, hey, we have enough steroids, turn down the hormone that tells the adrenals to make, to make hormones. Yeah. So, so I think he had like scoliosis or something. He yeah, had you, he back, had back issues problems as a kid, and then when he was young, they were giving him steroids, and I think steroids are one of those things that, for a short period of time, they work great and they make you feel a lot better. But then after time, taking the steroids causes a bunch of different issues. So basically, what he was doing was he was getting too many, so his pituitary was like, "I don't need to make any more of this ACTH." So, and that's why you have to be careful, like with patients that are on steroids yeah. like corticosteroids or prednisone for a long extended period of time because you can't just stop it you kind of have to wean them off if you want to stop it mm-hmm. or else you can cause an adrenal insufficiency so and one of the hallmarks of addison's disease is like the bronzing of the skin which i think is what i don't know how that came up in our discussion it was our everyday discussion of adrenal insufficiency um well it's you classic because people like think of jfk to... is like he's so tan and a lot of that browning of his skin was because of 
Addison's. Yeah. So it's interesting because ACTH, uh, a byproduct of ACTH is actually, um, it leads to the production of like melanin. Um, and I, there's like a specific pathway. I I was Which I learned that a year ACTH ago. ACTH is adrenal corticotropin hormone. Yeah. Which is what tells yes. the adrenals and, to release And then a part of that pathway is that it turns it into melanin. So the reason why was because I guess his adrenals were all shriveled. That's my thinking. Because he had been taking these chronic glucocorticoids so that when they took him off the glucocorticoids his pituitary was secreting out all this ACTH and it was like his adrenals were like hey we haven't been working for like years Years. boss (laughs) so we don't know what to do so then this ACTH was just turning into this uh, melanin or being uh, transformed into this melanin which gave him that bronze skin another interesting thing about him was that apparently he had to wear this back brace because of his back issues and um, when he was shot they said that he might have lived if it wasn't for the fact that he had that back brace because he couldn't have, he couldn't fall forward. So the first shot would have probably thrown him forward and then he, the second shot would have missed him. But because he had that back brace on, he couldn't fall forward. And so that he was hit the second time, which I find that pretty interesting. I don't really know much about JFK other than that he wanted to get rid of the CIA or something. And so they killed him for I mean, he got assassinated by some random guy. Do you know what laryngeomalacia is? Is it with the vocal cords? Yeah, it's with babies. They have like weak tissues. In their vocal cords? In their um, larynx. So when they, I think when they're in certain positions it closes or it it folds and so it creates this wheezing sound is it all babies no it's only a certain amount so it's like you get a baby and it's like has this really harsh wheezing sound but when you flip it over on its belly um and kind of hold it up it doesn't it doesn't wheeze that way because it opens the yeah it somehow the tissue relaxes but the way that you diagnose that is a flexible fiber optic laryngoscope I got that one wrong. Though I was thinking, I think it was a vascular ring. So how do you treat that? I think they grow out of it, unless it's really bad and then you have to have surgery. But it's funny because a lot of the catch-alls for this is just surgery, but they don't really ask us about like how the surgery, how you do the surgery. It's just they need immediate surgery. Until you're in surgery rotation, and then you have to know exactly which Well, not which even surgeries. though, because we just know... We know the types of surgeries, but we don't really have to know like what you do in the surgery. My knowledge is like you cut the skin open and then you stick in the little thingy and then you put in the camera and then you mess around with it like a video the game. The laparoscope? That's what it's called. And then you pull out the gallbladder and put it into a little baggie and then you put it in That's a little box part. and then the person walks with the box to, to do whatever they do with it. I don't know what they do with it. They take it to the morgue or whatever. There's that one person there that has to, their job is to hold the bin that collects whatever we're taking out. And sometimes there's some pretty nasty things that go into those bins. Mm-hmm. All right. They look exactly like the containers 
at the Chinese restaurant yes, they that do. you get soup. I brought that up. Yeah, they do. They look like the, the sweet the and sour. The wonton soup? Yeah, the wonton soup bins. That's exactly what they that, look like. That like so it's weird like, Is plastic. it wonton soup or is it gallbladder? That's a good one. Okay, what's the difference between global aphasia and Broca's aphasia? Because I didn't know this. Well, we already mentioned Broca's earlier. Yeah. So I would assume global aphasia, would that have aspects of both Wernicke's and Broca's? So it's it's Broca's, but you can't comprehend. So in Broca's, okay. you can't like speak, but like if I tell you to go shut the door, you'll stand up and shut the door. Whereas with global aphasia, I tell you to shut the door and you don't know what I'm trying to say. So that's just okay. a, that's a pretty easy... So it has that in common with like the Wernicke's. Does Wernicke's have difficulty comprehend- in comprehension? I thought so. I don't think it does. It doesn't? Let's look it up. All right, Natalie just found the definition. Do you want to read it for me? Yes. So Wernicke's aphasia, also called receptive aphasia, your ability to grasp the meaning of spoken words and sentences is impaired while the ease of producing connected speech is not very affected. But they still have what is referred to as a word salad because speech tends to include like their random words and phrases thrown together. Okay. But they can't understand They're spoken not as good or as understanding. written language. Okay. So that is like globals, global aphasia. So but, you have that in yeah. addition to the brokas, yeah. like the inability to create coherent words. Yeah. So basically it's the worst of the three because you can't do anything. You can't speak or understand. Do you know what treatments you're supposed to give for someone who has a splenic rupture or a splenectomy? They would need vaccinations, the pneumococcal vaccination. Yeah. I didn't know that um, it's like encapsulated. I knew that it was encapsulated bacteria. So it's um, pneumonia H or strep pneumonia, H flu, and then uh, meningitis, Neisseria meningitis. Those are all so encapsulated. Then would you give meningitis vaccine as well? Yeah, but you also can give amoxicillin clonovulinate, which... Augmentin? Yeah. I'm not sponsored by Augmentin, so don't <laughs> come arrest me. Actually, that might probably, that's probably generic by now. Mm-hmm. So I don't pre- think that's... I don't know if that's a brand name. I think that's... Augmentin. How does that work, though? Is it once it's generic, anyone can make it and sell it? Because I saw this thing that said in... 2044 J.R. Tolkien's works are going to go like be a part of the public domain. Is that the same kind of thing? I guess it technically is a because Lord of the Rings and encapsulated bacteria or antibiotics are one in the, the same. Yeah, right. I guess Augmentin technically is, is the, the brand name. Is the brand name, but it's so generic now that I mean, everybody refers it. Yeah. to it as Augmentin. I don't because I'm. You're in the workforce right now, so you're using the real names i'm still in school so i'm using all these fake names the other day we went to a drug rep dinner and they were talking about this new diabetes drug one of the glp inhibitors is that what it's right Mm -hmm. semaglutinide and they were asking questions and they were throwing around all these brand names of different drugs and i i couldn't keep up because i don't know any of the brand names i only know the generic though those diabetes drugs are pretty tricky because we don't I don't feel like we focused a ton on the different types of like GLP or DPP4 or even the sulfonylureas. All I know is that you don't really use sulfonylureas anymore. Um, And then insulin is just insulin. Pretty much for any type 2 diabetic, insulin and the sulfonylureas are like the last 
resort. The resort. one thing I did Not learn is, good. I think I told you this, that I was curious as to what one unit of insulin meant uh, and where they got the, the one unit of insulin. So I apparently we were. it's either the amount of insulin that makes a rabbit hypoglycemic or the amount of insulin that will kill a rabbit by making it so hypoglycemic. I think it's just the one that makes it hypoglycemic. So one unit of insulin equals the amount of insulin to make a rabbit hypoglycemic. And that is the measurement that we use for units of insulin. It's a pretty interesting, fun fact. Using insulin is very complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's very complicated. Especially I... if it's sliding scale. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not that complicated. But if you don't know how to do it, like me, mm-hmm. I've had it explained to me a couple times, but the fact that I'm not doing it every day makes it much more difficult to understand. It's much harder for patients to understand. Than just like, here, take this than pill. just take this one injection of an already pre-mixed insulin two times okay. a day. So you have this guy and he's terrified of flying because his father died in a plane wreck and he got a promotion at work. And he is having to fly a lot more because of his job to go on to go to all these meetings. And the last time that he went on a flight, he had a panic attack. So what is the treatment that you're going to give to him to make him or just not necessarily give to him? But what is the treatment that he has to do to get over his phobia of flight? Exposure therapy. Yeah. So there's exposure therapy and then there is desensitization or something like that. I think it's similar to exposure, but it's to make you desensitize to the triggers. Yeah, maybe the reason why that wasn't the right answer was because he needed to do it now, and that takes a while. Uh, but the, that's not the answer that I chose. I went with the medication, which was propranolol, which is a beta okay, blocker. But that's you, what I was going to say until yeah. you said the like to get him over. But the you only use beta blockers if it's like a performance anxiety. So if it's you're speaking in front of a large crowd or I don't know if taking tests counts. I don't know. I, I think that if I took a beta blocker to take a test, I would like fall asleep before I finish the test. I don't think I w- it would be not good for me. That's well, just interesting because we give beta blockers for hypertension, you know, yeah. all the time. I think there was a um, a house episode where... Foreman was taking a lie detector test for some reason. I forget why. And in order to pass the lie detector test, he took a beta blocker. And at the time when I watched it, I didn't know what a beta blocker was. I'm still not convinced a beta blocker would work to pass a lie detector test, but maybe we should try it one day. I have never taken a lie detector test. Have you ever taken a beta blocker? I don't think so. No, I don't think I have either. The amount of like prescription medications that I have taken. I've taken triptans for migraines. And then I've taken antibiotics like once or twice. Yeah. My prescription drug amount is very low. Yeah. All right. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is last Saturday, Natalie was being a good human and exercising and you made it what? About a mile? Half a mile? A little over half a mile. And the treacherous roads of Savannah tripped (laughs) her up and she rolled her ankle more like the treacherous sidewalks. Yeah, that's what I meant, sidewalks. They are pretty treacherous. Uh, they're slanty. But it kind of brought up the topic of the Ottawa ankle rules, which determine whether or not you should get an x-ray. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yes. So technically, there's five 
questions that you have to ask or observe when a patient comes in with any sort of ankle, foot pain, history of trauma or something. AKA, so, you, AKA your ankle. you have an ankle sprain or something. Yeah. So the first question is, are they able to bear any weight for four steps? And this includes even if they're limping and they're still able to put weight okay. on it. Yeah. So Which I was I just found out. Okay. I, I like how here on my little list it says two on each foot. So you can't just hop on your good foot for four steps and that counts. Yes, you have to have <laughs> st- both steps on that the bad foot. The bad ankle, yeah. And then the next one is, is there tenderness on the bone on the posterior side of the lateral malleolus, which basically that's the backside towards the towards the back of your calf sort of like where the achilles tendon is kind of yes so it's more on the outside so that would be the outside part of your outside ankle so lateral towards the yes but not everybody understands so so what you're saying is the lateral malleolus yes (laughs) what's the next one then you have tenderness on the ankle as well on the medial side so instead of on the outside this is on the inside ankle towards the back which honestly when i started taking anatomy a couple years ago the the lateral medial posterior anterior dorsal ventral uh proximal distal like that stuff gets pretty confusing when you have like a description of a patient and they're like talking about how it's on the lateral side of their left leg and then they you know medial this and lateral proximal distal and you don't know they start using bones you don't even know what they are (laughs) like we were playing that game we went over to some friend's house last saturday and we were playing that game called what is it called? An- Anomia. 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 And uh, one of if and if you've never played it, basically you have a deck of cards in the middle, and then each person and it goes around the circle. So one person will draw a card, and on the card will be a symbol, and then some sort of statement so that you have to make. And so like this one example was it was like a yellow circle, and then the statement was a type of uh, like a bone, right? And so if I draw a card that has that same yellow circle, then I have to shout out a name of a bone in order to get that card in my pile. And so when I and when it was my turn and I flipped it and it was a yellow card and I looked at it, the first thing I thought was the uh, stapes. And Natalie just made fun of me because the stapes bone. I don't know. <laughs> if, of all the bones, you think stapes I think I lost first. that one too. I think someone beat me. because Yeah, they, somebody beat you to the answer. Like they looked at my card yeah, and my mine was like a famous chef or something. I don't know. Anyway, but stapes, like not not humorous, femur. I don't know why it popped into my tibia. head. Tibia. Okay, have we go <laughs> anything <laughs> not stapes which stapes is a bone which in your ear is... i think it's one of the smallest bones in the body if not the, the smallest bones, bone but it's like <laughs> don't make fun of me I, i'm on i'm okay I'm, anyway no, back I'm to the ottawa ankle rules ottawa number four is tenderness at the base of the fifth metatarsal which the fifth metatarsal is the most lateral bone in your foot so it's where the pinky toe is it starts at the bottom of your pinky toe and goes back. Yes. Towards your heel. heel. And so if you have tenderness at the base of that, which I believe is right here on the lateral, on the lateral side. Yeah. 
Right at the base of your pinky toe. That's the... The reason why Natalie keeps cutting out is because she's like holding her foot up in the air <laughs> and like pointing to it, uh, which you guys can't well, see. You guys really can see my foot yeah. that I'm pointing to. And then the last one is pain at what they call the navicular bone, which is basically the heel bone. The it's like near... Bone. It's not... It's not the heel exactly, but it's right in front of the heel. So yes. it's more like... So if you have how many of these do you need to get an x-ray? I believe it's three. Okay. Isn't it three? So here on my little thing I have up, it says it says pain at the malleolar zone and tender at the posterior margin or tender at the posterior margin tip of the lateral malleolus, medial malleolus, or unable to bear foot. So there's a couple different scenarios that you could be in, but yours was not that bad. Like your foot had definitely, by the time I had driven to pick her up, um, it was definitely swollen, but she could walk on it and it wasn't that tender. And it it's still a little sore now, right? It looks like you beat me, but... And the foot, <laughs> which, you know, I don't think that's it's very common. It's all black and blue, but I think that's it's just It's gotten a lot better. I'm, I'm so pale. Natalie, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Uh, she's been working a lot, so she's been a lot busier than I am. I'm just here studying and she's out being the breadwinner but if you have any questions you can send them to maximumpodcast at gmail.com again i have yet to have anyone ask me a question i did have someone email me from a company that they want basically the the gist of their company is they're like you can make money by teaching people or mentoring people that's what it was do you, are you interested in being a mentor or something like that and I looked into it, but I don't understand like what I would be mentoring about, and um, so I haven't really signed up for it. I don't think the app has even come out. So that's the only email I've gotten, and I think it was a bot. So, um, And if you listen to this show on iTunes, you can leave me a review. I have nine reviews so far, so that's pretty good. All of them are five stars, but if you want to leave me a one-star review, go ahead. It might make the show a little bit more interesting, so I'll have a little contention. So thanks for listening.